Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. This is the uh, final sermon in our series on body, and I have just been overwhelmed by how much uh, engagement uh, this has like sort of uh, awoken something in many of us in the Tuesday night discussions to go over sermons, and this whole series has been really life-giving, so thank you for all of you for your engagement. And this is um, the end of that series. And this series has been called Body, but the series that begins next week in Lent is called Blood. And the, the tension between these two series is that we are celebrating today that we have bodies, that we are members of the same body, and that at the heart of our faith is a God with a body, <laughs> the incarnation. Uh, and at the heart of our faith is a God who, whose body uh, rose up from the grave. Uh, and so there's so much celebration and joy and triumph in that like topic of body and embodiment. But also, the body of Christ uh, was sent to suffer and be emptied. And so we, as the body of Christ, participate also in the sufferings of Christ. So next week we will look at um, the sufferings of Christ in the scriptures. And so today marks kind of the transition between these two ideas. So <clears throat> the subtitle of this series was Embodiment, Incarnation, and Belonging. Right after Christmas, we needed to pause for a good eight weeks and consider God has a body. God, the word became flesh and dwelt in our midst, uh, making this place a home for all. And so if God has a body and God came to this embodied place, then our bodies are not outside the realm of redemption and new life and forgiveness. Um, so we celebrate bodies. Now, this is a weird idea, though. Like for some people, they're like, celebrate body. We celebrate spirit. Body's bad. And, and so it was kind of a bit of a a challenge for some people. And so so the way I would say it, I've, I've seen it. Um, also, um, there's a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright. If you've ever read any of his work, it was probably Surprised by Hope. And um, he, he's contributed this a lot to the world of biblical studies. But kind of dismantling some of our uh, preconceived notions about flesh versus spirit and what it means to have a body and where does the gospel come in contact with that body. And he noted that there seems to be this extreme, this spectrum and on one end, it's just, there's no better word for it than just straight up escapism. This idea that one day, your soul will depart from your body, be free from this kind of bag of meat and aches and pains we got, and your soul will be set free, and it will escape this world, and you'll go to heaven where everything will be better. And that kind of escapism um, has shaped our imagination in the West a lot. I've seen it at funerals where we say, you know, he's not here anymore, he's escaped. Uh, and we don't talk, we don't grieve, we don't talk about death, and, and it's sort of this escape. And, and so then the hope that we have is escaping. Um, I think you can see this really well in some of the world's uh, bazillionaires um, desperately trying to build spaceships because they know they, we need an escape plan if we continue on the trajectory that we're on. So this desire to escape. And our theology has often been shaped by this. I've sung many songs, old hymns in church that one day I'll fly away, one day I'll escape, one day I'll be a free from this horrible rot in place, um, including my own body. And when that's our mindset, and that's our theology, that the, the good news, the gospel is that all of us will one day get to escape this place. If that's the gospel, then who cares about this material world? If, if it's just 
get out. We just got to escape this place. Then why should we protest a corrupt government? Why should we be really concerned about what's happening in Ukraine right now? Why should we really as a church talk about racism or abuse? In the light of eternity, what's 80, 90 years of pain? In eternity, it'll make sense. We don't need to go look for murdered and missing indigenous women and girls because it'll all make sense when we just get to heaven one day. Um, and this theology kind of leaves us sort of immobilized and unable to really do anything but sit and wait. We could move to the country, homeschool. We could just be like Jonah in that boat and just wait. Or I should say Noah in that ark and just wait. Either way, we're waiting. So um, when we're shaped by that mindset, uh, our, our relationship with pain is that we don't have to worry about that and talk about it. We can hide from it and just wait to get to heaven. And our relationship with time is that we're just waiting. But on the other end of that spectrum, I don't know if anyone, if you know Awaken, you're like, that's not usually the part of the spectrum that we occupy, the like escape. On the extreme other end of the spectrum is um, what N.T. Wright calls evolutionary optimism. <laughs> that don't worry. The world is getting better. Everything is getting better. Look at all this technology and advancement. We're so, you know, we're progressing. Um, and it's because of us. We're doing it. We're making it better. We're putting our minds together. We're rolling up our sleeves and we're, we're in there. We're building orphanages. We're digging wells. We're coming up with new vaccinations or scientific technological advancements. And we are the answer to all the world's problems. We are doing it. We are getting better. We are making it better. And in that kind of mindset is sort of you might hear a church that's kind of on that end of the spectrum say things like, we are the hands and feet of, of Jesus. We are forwarding the kingdom. It's us. Um, and, and in that kind of um, theology and that worldview, we can really kind of catch ourselves living constantly in a state of urgent anxiety. <laughs> that like, we got to go now and fix all these problems in the world. We got to go. Like, why are we having a prayer meeting? Why are we singing songs? We got to go out there and be the hands and feet, be the change we want to see. Um, the world is getting better, but it's only because of our great effort. Um, and that, 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 um, the communities on that end of the spectrum are guilty of the same as the other end of hiding from pain and ignoring pain and avoiding pain because we'll make it better. We'll push past it. We'll find something to buy or make that will fix it. Um, and these two extremes, kind of escapism and evolutionary optimism on the other end, they both have this kind of jaded relationship with time. On the escapist side, we're just waiting, powerlessly, for that great day when death sets us free. And the more you break that down, the more you realize it's not very good news. But on the other end, we're not waiting, evolutionary optimism, we're not waiting. We're constantly running out of time. We're constantly anxiously worried that we've wasted time. Um, it's interesting to think about how much we use um, money metaphors for time, right? We're saving money, spending, I'd be sorry, saving time, spending time, wasting time, investing our time, uh, and, and at all times afraid that we're running out of it. And there's this fear. And I think what we need, what we could pause as a community, probably for like a year and just sit in silence, in awe of this uh, reality, that the resurrection of Jesus, that Easter Sunday, challenges both uh, worldviews at the end of this spectrum. You have Jesus resurrected on the third day with a body. So, I mean, it would be a totally different gospel, wouldn't it, if Jesus died and then all of the disciples gathered together and hung their heads and said, well, he's gone to be in a better place. And his body maybe is there in the tomb, but we know that his soul is not. 
and he's gone somewhere better, and one day we will join him. That would be a different gospel if that's how it ended, right? They hang their heads, he's gone somewhere better. Um, and it would be a different gospel if perhaps like, well, he's not here anymore, uh, his, his soul's escaped, or, or, or maybe we don't even have that, um, his soul has escaped. We, maybe on the other end of the spectrum, we would just say, well, he died, but he died well. And in his life, he taught us how to live well, and in his death, he taught us how to die well. And if we could just live like Jesus and die like Jesus, then the whole world would be better. Uh, there it is again, we are making the world better. And, and Jesus gave us some tools how to do that, but it's ultimately up to us. Um, but we don't have uh, a, a, a body whose soul has escaped on Easter Sunday, and nor do we have a body that's just there in a community that's like inspired by the nobility of his uh, death. We have a living person in the flesh, and the resurrected body of Jesus still has wounds and scars. And this is the beginning of something very profound. His soul did not escape. He did not just teach us how to live well and how to die well. Something much bigger took place. N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, says Easter, so that moment when Jesus is um, resurrected, Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ, and now you are invited to belong to it too. That it's the beginning of the full like consummation of, of the wedding between heaven and earth. And so brilliantly, I had Revelation 21. It's the first text I would read. And then it got messed up in the slides and placed between songs. And I saw Anna's like, oh, okay, I'll read this. And I was like, no, that's for the sir. Actually, that's absolutely. You did? Well, I had no idea. And I was like, this is a perfect accident. Bob Ross would have been so proud. So proud of us. It was like amazing. Okay, well, I didn't know that, so that's beautiful, that's profound. Um, so I, I, I am going to read it again because it's, um, so we've talked a lot about um, uh, body and, and bodies uh, with gender, bodies with um, sexuality, and we've talked about marriage uh, last week, and so this is the final kind of biblical uh, teaching on marriage, and it's the marriage of heaven and earth. And that's the marriage that we look forward to, um, the marriage between heaven and earth. And so in Revelation 21, it's describing kind of the beginning of this, or uh, the end of this wedding ceremony. The beginning of the ceremony has already begun. That's Easter Sunday. But the end um, of this beautiful wedding ceremony, it says, and it's on here, and I'm going to read past this too, but I just that's what fit nicely in the slide. So it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling, or that word is tabernacle, or, or home. God's home is here. So God's home is here. We're not trying to escape, and that's, that's not our home up there. That's not the gospel. The gospel's not one day we'll go home there. The gospel is that God's going to make a home right here. Whoa. Finally, God's home is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, or behold, I make all things new. 
and he also said write this down these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me all is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will freely give water from the life giving spring and down at the bottom of that same chapter um, there's no slide for it but there's just a few verses here it says i didn't see a temple in the city because the temple is the lord god almighty and the lamb the city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it because god's glory is its light and its lamp is the lamb the nations will walk by its light and all the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night so there's gates that never close and then the final few verses of the book of revelation says then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water shining like crystal flowing from the throne of god and the lamb through the middle of the city's main street on each side of the river is a tree of life which produces crops of fruit bearing fruit each month and the tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations there will no longer be any curse the throne of god and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him they will see his face and his name will be upon them night will be no more they won't need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the lord will shine upon them forever and always <clears throat> so this wedding day inaugurates uh, the beginning of no more tears no more death no more war no more corruption no hatred no more well it's your word against his no more there's nothing more we can do there's this river of life these trees of life the leaves of this trees are like a plant medicine for the healing of the nations and God is there fully not as a lion but as a lamb and the gates of this city never ever ever close no one is banned from it it's open and this is the wedding the wedding of heaven and earth uh, Anna led us in that song we labor unto glory until this day that's our labor is to work towards this day the two worlds this world and the world to come become one the veil lifts and depending on your Christian tradition it's either a sloppy wet kiss or an unforeseen kiss regardless the veil is lifted like the veil from the face of a bride and the two become one heaven and earth God's space and human space overlaps and becomes one um, a year ago you heard me talk about Desmond Tutu once in a while because we read a book by him and it was really beautiful and there's a quote by Desmond Tutu I love and Desmond Tutu if you don't know um, his story Archbishop Desmond Tutu I believe um, he passed away this year uh, we lost Archbishop Desmond Tutu to our world loss that's a great loss for us but um, he um, lived during um, apartheid in South Africa and witnessed um, horrible systemic uh, racism and, and just dehumanizing policies and, and human action um, against uh, South African uh, people with darker skin and he survived um, a lot of hatred and, and, and racism and continued to speak love and goodness into the world and there's this beautiful um, story about him in Time magazine and it says um, it tells this little story about um, something he said in 1977 which was 16 years before the apartheid ended which was a pretty big deal so 16 years away from actual 
uh, end of apartheid. It says that Desmond Tutu stood before a crowd of 15,000 people at the funeral of murdered black consciousness leader Steve Biko in King Williamstown, South Africa. And he declared, 16 years before apartheid ended, white rule was finished. He said, the powers of injustice, of oppression, of exploitation have done their worst and they have lost thundered the then 45-year-old Bishop of St. Mary and St. James Lesotho. They have lost, he said, because they are immoral and wrong. And our God is a God of justice and liberation and goodness. Our cause, he said, must triumph because it is moral and just and right. And few could have known then that the unrest sweeping across South Africa would be the beginning of the end of apartheid. But Tutu knew. That's the chief lesson I have learned, he told Time. The texture of our universe is one where there is no question at all but that goodness and laughter and justice will prevail. And that's what gave him hope, Desmond Tutu, is that he knew how the story would end. He knew that there would be reconciliation. And he was laboring unto that. And he already knew how it would end. We know how the story ends. It ends with goodness and laughter and justice. It ends at this wedding feast, at this wedding day. And the ending is so beautiful because it's not that we escape and go there. It's that that, that reality, that world comes from the future and joins us here. And we got a glimpse of that that Sunday morning right there in the graveyard. Heaven doesn't just move towards us. It moves right towards the wound. Heaven moves right towards the graveyard looks death right in the eyes and says, I'm going to make a home right here. And the body of Christ comes alive <clears throat> as the beginning of that great wedding day. We aren't waiting. The day has already begun. Jesus breathes the breath of God on the disciples um, in, in John chapter 20, breathes the breath of God on the disciples in his resurrected body. And he says, okay, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you to labor unto glory. It has begun. The fulfillment of all things. The end of time. The beginning of the new age has begun now. And as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. And if you've been at Awaken for more than a couple years, you would know that at the heart of Awaken, in the center of this room, um, is, was usually a beautiful wooden table. It was our communion table that had the acronym SENT, S-E-N-T. We still have that table but a very lovely uh, rental group broke its leg. And so it is resting until it heals, which looks like when I formally ask Eric or Jeff or someone to please fix the broken leg on this table. Um, but it is still very much our table, and that acronym is still very much who we are. Um, that's one reason I fell in love with Awaken many years ago was because S-E-N-T. I knew in the Bible that was the vision of Awaken Church was as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. Um, Awaken doesn't exist to draw more people in. It exists to send more people out into the neighborhood to labor unto glory because we already know how the story ends. So we are not waiting, just stuck waiting for Jesus to do something. The doing something has already begun. But nor are we running out of time. This has been a huge thing for me, maybe because I'm an Enneagram 3, if that's you in the room, like holy, um, that fear always anxiously that we're running out of time. I'm a Christian. I don't believe in that. That doesn't exist. We're not running out of time. 
We're always running into time. We are always moving towards it, never running out of it, always running into it, into the fullness of time. There is a slide here, a text in Ephesians 1. I think it captures this very well. It's probably the most New Testament quotes you've ever heard in an Akela sermon. I don't have a single Old Testament one, so it's great. <clears throat> it's wild, actually. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power, like he's all of them, any of them, even the ones from the future that we don't know about. Jesus is already above them all. Whether now or in the future, God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. The Greek here is really intense. It's like, well, it's already happened. Jesus has already been given it all. His body is the church, and it's the fullness of Christ, not a glimpse, not a little snippet when we're doing everything exactly right when, like, the production goes smoothly. Right, Adam? It's, oh, Adam's not here. He said he really loves about Awaken that we're not about the production. <laughs> and I'm like, as a compliment. Um, he, uh, he writes that the church is the body, and it is the fullness of Christ. And the fullness of Christ fills everything in every way. So we are not running out of time. We are always moving into it. We are always moving towards that great cloud of witnesses that is moving back towards us. The veil between worlds is always getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And the hope we have is that all will be reconciled. All of it. If you're like me, your families probably had a little bit of conflict in the last two years, especially in the last two months. Every one of you probably had at least a couple relatives that drove their truck to Ottawa in the last two weeks. I did. And it's really weird because a few years ago, we could all be like theologically quite different and politically quite different. But before COVID, we could still have Thanksgiving dinner together and just sort of love each other. And I worry that I worry sometimes that those days have ended. I don't know. They're, they're, we're so entrenched. We're so polarized. Will my family ever be together again and not, uh, you know, rage about the, all the ways we're polarized and divided? <clears throat> That's what happens when you don't break bread together <laughs> after a long time. So we lose our ability to see each other. And I was reflecting earlier this week. I have a, a family member that really, really, really doesn't like me because, I don't know, I'm a pastor and I'm a woman. And I want to be angry at him. I want to hate him. I want to think he's just no good and he's bad. And I want to want him to know that he's wrong. And I want him to hurt when he realizes that. Like I have all these negative ways of like, I just want you to know I'm right. And I get this anxious anxiety and I can stay up late at night just like going over in my head. Like, why is this guy so mean? And then it hit me. I already know something that the world does not know. That that relative and I, we will be reconciled one day. We will be. We will be, no matter what, even if we just keep on hating each other and hurting each other, which I hope we don't do, but no matter what, I know that, because the reconciliation of all things is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this land. So if I can look at him, and I can say, I already know that we're going to be siblings again, and we're going to be at the same table again, and we're going to honor each other and love each other, so I don't have to be anxious and upset and angry and afraid. I can keep sowing seeds of love and goodness into our relationship, and it might not seem to amount to anything now, but that's the thing with seeds. You don't get to see the, the growth all the time. I already know that we will be reconciled. 
I already know how the story ends. And so I can move forward towards that relationship, towards that reconciliation with all the confidence in the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, the next slide, um, the work of reconciliation is framed like this. If we are crazy, I love when Paul, the way he talks to the Corinthians, if we are crazy, it's for God's sake. If we are rational, it's for your sake. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for the sake of all, and therefore all died. He died for the sake of all, so that those who are alive should live, not for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by their human standards. That's what I like to think Awaken's been doing this last year, dismantling that urge to keep judging each other by human standards. We, we don't do that anymore, Paul says. Like we used to. We used to know uh, Christ by human standards. That isn't how we know him now. If then anyone is in Christ, uh, that, pers uh, that person is part of the new creation. Uh, that's kind of a cool phrase in Greek because it could also mean if anyone is in Christ, creation is made new. Which I love it. The ancient text is always telling us about the new thing. The old things have gone away, and look, the new things have arrived. Creation is always being made new. All of these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's it. That's our mission, the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world, the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. As the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. And so today, in just a few minutes here, there's like a bunch of people who are going to come forward, and we're going to celebrate um, that they're becoming members of Awaken. And it's a weird thing for a few reasons. Awaken's never really done that before, um, <clears throat> which I didn't know. <laughs> the elders told me like a year and a half ago. They're like, well, we used to just sign the covenant in the back. I was like, oh, we never called people to the front and then like like you're a member it's like no we just kind of all went and signed in the back every year oh. and I was like is it bad should we go back or well why not both you know like the spirit's always doing something new and and old so it's okay but um the scent covenant uh that awaken was founded with planted with the dream the vision um has not changed um the scent table the word scent um it's an acronym a four-letter acronym <clears throat> and the word uh scent so s stands for story uh, the story, this is the scriptures, um, that we are a community of people that see ourselves in the story, and we are shaped by the story. Uh, and so we value story at Awaken. We, we talk about the Bible a lot, and it matters. We find the story here in the streets of Bonas. And then the E in sent is encounter, the word encounter, that we believe we have eyes to see and ears to hear God in the everyday moments of our lives, and we engage in spiritual disciplines um, to encounter God because we know that God is not way up there waiting for us. God is always moving towards us here. And the N in the acronym, SENT, is neighborhood. Neighborhood. Uh, most of us live here in Bonas, um, but everyone lives sort of bon Bonas and, and right around near Bonas, which currently expands even unto Edmonton, which is beautiful, the global and local neighborhood. Um, 
that we really believe that God sends us into the neighborhood. Jesus sends us into the neighborhood to labor unto glory, that ministry of reconciliation. We don't need to be afraid of the pain and the suffering because we know how the story ends, and so we absolutely can and should um, do things that matter into eternity. And finally, the T in that acronym of SENT is TOGETHER, that we go together, we do it together. That's our witness to the world. They will know by our love for one another, and so we do it together. And it's been really hard, right? Those of you watching on Zoom right now, it's hard to do it together when we can't be in the same room. But we've, we've built that bridge, and we are striving to stick together. So together, as one body, we are SENT. We are SENT. We are parts of the story, we are encountering God, and we are here in the neighborhood. And so the last um, scripture for us to meditate on, this is one of my most favorite texts, reminds us that we are not alone. We are not, uh, we are not alone. In Colossians, Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn from the dead, the resurrection, Sunday, Easter Sunday. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is really profound, because I grew up in a kind of Christianity that taught that the whole world was just soaked in, oh, Jeremy Clegger. <laughs> You know where I'm going with this, because you taught me this this summer while we were hiking. I immediately went and read the book. Then. I'm so glad you're here right now. Okay. I was taught, as many of you were as well, that the earth is soaked in sin. And it's just this wretched, horrible place that's just soaked in horrible, evil sin. And we, as Christians, have to go out and bring Jesus into the world and try and plant Jesus and hope that, like, the Jesus that we bring into the world could, like, overpower and conquer and... I don't know, colonize, that's a strong word, all that world that's soaked in sin. And that was our work, our mission, and it was like this urgent thing, like go out and bring Jesus into this dark, dark world. <clears throat> but as Jeremy Clager pointed out to me this summer, and I think you quoted Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with his glory. It is not soaked in sin, it's soaked in Christ. It's soaked in Jesus. Every single corner of this world is telling uh, uh, something about the goodness of God and, and groaning for God or, or, or proclaiming the goodness of God. We live in a Christ-soaked world, and we are sent into it to bear witness to that fact and to join the Spirit in the work of making this world a home for all, a home for God. Well, I'm going to call the members up here in just a moment, but I'm reflecting... Um, there's this verse in Revelation that I heard misquoted my entire life. And the misquote I heard was that Jesus stands knocking on the door of your heart, saying, you know, behold, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. If you let me in, I'll eat with you and you'll eat with me. And so I always had this imagination of like, there's a door on my heart, you know, bump, 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 and Jesus is knocking to get into my heart. And then if Jesus lives in my heart, then I'm good. And then I got to help you know that that's a knock at the door of your heart and Jesus wants to get into your heart. But you know what? The word heart isn't there in the text you don't believe me, pull up Revelation 3. It doesn't say, I, I stand knocking on the door of your heart. He says, behold, I stand knocking on the door. And it's the door of the church. Because the church that that part of Revelation is addressed to is that they were so kind of caught up in themselves that uh, Jesus was kind of booted out. <laughs> when, when you get really worried about who's in and who's out, <clears throat> you might accidentally kick out Jesus, because Jesus is the least of these. 
There's Jesus being kicked out of the church that apparently worships this Jesus. And Jesus is knocking on the door. And he's like, let me in so I can eat with you. Why are you doing communion without me? I stand and knock. So I realize there's a different way of living in our world. We could live as if Jesus, a little bit of Jesus is in me, and a little bit of Jesus is in you, and a little bit of Jesus is in you. Or, as Paul invites us to in his letter to the Colossians, we could live as if all of us live within Jesus. And all of this is being held together within Jesus. <clears throat> that we live in Christ. We are held together in Christ. And those we've loved who've already passed into the, the world to come are being held in Christ, and we are held with them. And our hope and our labor and our mission is to continue to move towards the fulfillment of all things, the ministry of reconciliation. So if you plant a well now, that matters forever. If you plant purple flowers all over this world, that matters forever. The last quote before I invite um, the elders up is that, I mean, the new members, wow, and the elders, yeah, that'd be great if you're here, that'd be perfect. Um, the work of salvation, in its full sense, what does it mean to be a member of Awaken, the member, a member of our community? Essentially, anyone who's taking communion at the table with us is a member of us. Uh, membership is a weird government of Canada thing, but it's still something to celebrate, <laughs> covenanting together. But the work we do at Awaken is this. The work of salvation, in its full sense, is one about the whole human being, not just the soul. We care very much. We are working in an embodied world. Salvation is about the whole human being, not just the soul. Salvation is about the present moment, not simply the future. What we do now matters. And finally, salvation is about what God does through us, not merely what God does in and for us. The love of God flows through us into the neighborhood, through us into this world, not just to us. And so we are sent to bear witness to the work of salvation happening in our midst.